Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Setting the Scene. My name is Michael, and today we're joined by Ozma, our co-host. Um, she's joining the podcast for the first time, uh, and we're nearing our 50th, 50th episode, so definitely a special time for the podcast. This is our 48th overall episode, and today we'll be talking about academics. We're going to be, the, the podcast title is Struggling Journeys in College, but Essentially, what Ozma and I will be doing is we'll be taking turns sharing our journeys through college. That's why we named the episode that way. Um, but again, it's going to be all about academics, especially for those starting up uh, who might not even be in college. Or if you're a freshman, I'm sure that y'all will especially find this helpful. But before we get going, Ozma, would you like to introduce yourself? All right. Yes. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Ozma. I am a junior pre-med student, and I'm majoring in neuroscience. Welcome to the podcast again. Very excited. We'll be having a number of episodes in the future co-hosted with myself and Ozma, um, or Ozma and a, another one of our co-hosts on the team. So something definitely looking forward to. But in terms of what we wanted to get talking about today, it was really all about our journey so far. I'm in my gap year. I graduated back in 2022, uh, just to fill y'all in in terms of my journey, and went to school in Connecticut, living now in West Texas. Technically, I've been on a gap year now for one and a half years, and I'm hopefully uh, going to be going into med school this fall. So having had that time to go through the application cycle and having been through four years of undergrad, there's a lot of stories I have to share. I hope that y'all will take some good lessons away from them. I feel like stories are the best way to share a lesson. And Uzma, you're in your third year, right? Um, hoping to graduate soon though too, right? Yes, I'm planning for summer, hopefully. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. But what we're gonna be doing here is we're gonna really go year by year, talking through our journeys and, and taking turns doing that. So we'll be going through the first three years of undergrad, and I'll be expanding more on that uh, once I get around to um, that point with how I've reflected on certain things in the college sphere and how they carry over to med school or really any graduate school. I've applied to a couple of graduate schools just in case I didn't get into med school this cycle. So I have a little extra insight uh, to say about that, but I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. So Ozma, do you want to tell us about how your first year of undergrad was, thoughts going into undergrad when you were in high school, the whole spiel? All right. Um, I think I'll start off with high school. Um, one of the really interesting things that happened in my life was applying for scholarships. Um, I tried to apply for some, and one of the things that I got really excited over was when colleges would send me like fee waiver, like application fee waivers and I'd get super excited I'd be like oh my god this is great you know I don't have to pay to apply so I'm just gonna apply I think I applied to like over 25 colleges majority of which was just because of those fee waivers um after the entire application process I remember sitting down and talking with my siblings about it and they were like why did you spend all that time applying for colleges you're not ever gonna plan on going to instead of just applying for scholarships and I was a little irritated they didn't remind me sooner um but there are a lot of um scholarships out there especially when you're in high school you're applying for college 
and they're like super simple like essay prompts and stuff so I definitely wish I kind of did that honestly one of my biggest regrets at this point um but that was just high school you know I got into a decent university and my first year was it was fun I'm not gonna lie I had a lot of fun I just socialized a bunch which um wasn't the best at times when exams came around. Um, but I had a lot of fun. I made a lot of new friends, enjoyed the entire college experience. Um, in terms of academics, I would say that I had a pretty good foot in the door because I had older siblings and they gave me a lot of advice in terms of professors to take, courses to take, you know, timelines and stuff like that. But um, obviously no one's educational journey is the same. And so there was always a lot of things that I had to figure out on my own. Uh, I think the best thing that I learned how to do was asking random people for like recommendations for professors. Um, like it would be like a random person in class if we just had to talk or a friend's friend. It's honestly like a great icebreaker you can just be like, oh, are you majoring in this program and stuff like that? And then you just ask about it. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, Michael, where you just bond with someone over random professors you've never met. Yeah, I've had quite a few, especially the professors that stick out. There's some personalities for sure, is all I'll say with professors, good and bad. Not to say that it's all bad, right? Yeah. Um, do you have any specific examples? Um. I would say usually it's a lot of times about professors to avoid. There's a lot of scary stories about one professor pulling out an A&P textbook for bio two and proclaiming that to be the textbook for the semester uh, and stuff like that. But sometimes there's cute stories. We have uh, two Oakham professors who are married. So it's always considered like adorable. It's like, ah, you know, stuff like that that just gets told around. Um, so yeah, like I was saying, just, it's a really great way to make friends and also get your professor Rex. I think that's what I utilized a lot in my first semester in my first year to figure out what professors to take along with the advice that I'd gotten from other pupils. What about you, Michael? What was your first year like in terms of academics and socialization? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess I set the scene. I did not go to, I graduated from school in Connecticut, but I did not go to school starting out in freshman year in Connecticut. I had to go through the transfer process midway. I actually, I've been hopping around from state to state just for family reasons. I graduated high school in Iowa. So I guess that's where I left off, right? Um, before going into college. And that's the same place that I went to college, at least for the first two years. So I am, over the years, I've noticed I've, I've been growing quite sociable. I really enjoy just being with a group of people and just feeding off of the energy of it. I just love that. Honestly, in a way, it feels like I'm recouping my energy. It almost gives me more energy. Uh, so I, I just love doing that back in college. Um, it didn't really get in the way of my studies that much, but about the professor stories. I do have quite a few. And like you said, some some were more bad than others, for sure. Uh, I do remember there were 
a couple professors who were infamous for their pop quizzes. And those pop quizzes would tank your grade pretty far down. And I did not know about that until I actually was registered in the course and we were like a good ways into the class. So dropping it was not an option, but good times. There were always good stories. There's always good stories with classes that are difficult, right? There's always memories from those ones. But in terms of lessons that I took away during the first year, definitely was being prepared. I did not expect at all that I would have to transfer going into my first year. It's not something that I even knew of until literally the last semester of my second year. So for that reason, I really wish I would have prepared. I really wish I would have known that transferring would have been something that would might have happened for me. It was a mix of, of things that happened that led to my transfer. Um, and just knowing the whole scheme behind credit structures. If you transfer outside of your own state, more than likely transfer credits are not gonna work out well just because states within the state colleges are pretty close. Outside of the state, they really aren't. There's sites like Transferology where you can look up how your transfer works out. But if you go to a school that isn't as known, something like Transferology will not be that helpful. It's pretty limited. I mean, there's so many schools in the country, right? So it's only schools like Texas A&M, uh, University of South Florida, those big schools, right? That you'll see them on Transferology and you'll see a lot of their courses on there too. But going to a smaller school, having gone to a, a smaller state school, which is where I ended up graduating from in Connecticut, it didn't really work out as well un until I went to that state school. So I, I tried out a, a number, I looked into a number of options before I ended up transferring there. It was a very long process, one that I wish I knew more of, again, going into it just because of how much time and energy it took away that could have been invested in something more beneficial. But more than anything, I honestly recommend that if finances is not something that you have to worry about, if your college is offering a scholarship, and if you know that you'll be there for four years, go for it. Some people don't even have to worry about like the whole transfer process. For me, it was quite a few things that had to do with the pandemic that led me to transfer. My family is now here in Texas. I didn't end up going to school in Texas, but I really considered it just to be close with them. Although that's not everything to do with my first year. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. My first year was really spent getting used to the STEM course load in college, getting used to the pace of it. I honestly wish I had known about resources like Anki, things that people use at the very least for med school, if not their MCAT, that are so much more efficient for memorization-based classes. So I'm not sure if you y'all use Anki. We definitely do. And it's honestly getting so popular during undergrad too. Um, I was taking biochem last semester and people were sharing their notes through Anki. It was pretty helpful, honestly, because a lot of the STEM courses, like you mentioned, are um, memorization-based. And I do, I do get what you're saying about the credits too, about the transferring. Definitely. I personally did dual credit um, in high school. And whenever I recommend it to someone, I'm always like, make sure you're, you know, you'll be able to use them. Make sure you're doing like proper credits that will be 
um, transferable and stuff. Uh, for example, down here in Texas, we have like the TCCNS. So it's like, you can see what courses, kind of similar to that transferology thing, more specific for Texas. So it's definitely important to consider when you're considering like your, what you're gonna do in high school, what you're gonna do in college. You have to really think about your future at that time. Definitely, definitely. Did not know about Anki until literally when I was studying for my MCAT, which was after I had even graduated. So I didn't even get a chance to use it for any of the, the courses. One interesting thing about Anki though is you have to, it's a long-term investment. At least that's what I'm told from med students. Did y'all use it long-term or was it more like, let me cram using Anki before I the exam? I personally think that all the students that were using Anki started like using it because they were studying for the MCAT. Um, but it was definitely used like kind of similar to how people use Quizlet in the earlier years. Um, just like as like a, to be helpful and being consistent. Anki's entire uh, model is based on that, right? Like going back and forth and redoing, uh, viewing your cards and stuff. I think more than Anki, I personally used um, like Quizlet. I don't know why I like their flashcards thing. It's just so easy to like learn for me personally, but I'm trying to get into the Anki thing because I have to start studying for the MCAT as well. <laughs> Now that I think about it, Quizlet basically is a mini Anki. It's like the the baby step to Anki. Didn't even it, realize. It is. And I personally like it because it's like, I feel like it's a little bit more cheerful. I'm pretty sure you can change your Anki like colors and stuff, but it, I don't know how to do that yet. And so mine is just this dull gray. And it's just so tiring just to even look at it. Whereas because it's like this nice bright blue, you know, better user interface, I guess. True, true. Anki, Anki, not Anking. I'll talk about that later. Anki is, it's like, it's like as foundational as it can be. It's, it's, it's really something that you have to build on. I'm not sure if you know about add-ons with Anki. Have you heard of those? Like how you can have a hot streak with a whole bar, or I think it's called a hot map, where you see your streak for cards and all that. I have heard of it. Yes. I've, I know there's, multiple different add-ons I think there's actually quite a few out there but yeah, yeah. it's like every about, time I take a trip down the subreddit for the MCAT it's just it's a lot it is when I was studying for my MCAT I spent a good I literally in my study schedule dedicated two days to just sifting through all that reddit had there's just a lot out there and what I did for my Anki, maybe this might be a study strategy for those out there. For me, it sort of worked. I really didn't know how to use Anki. It was a learning curve during the process instead of before it. Again, a bit of a regret of mine, but hey, um, the MCAT happened. Thankfully, went good. Um, but there's always areas that you could have improved on. But for me, what I did was I spent those two days searching for everything, every resource I could find. And when it came to Anki, I would download all the popular decks. I would use the Anking deck. If y'all are not familiar with the Anking, he's basically the go-to guy for any Anki help. Uh, well, it's not one person, it's actually a team. But on the videos, you'll see one person. Nick is his name. 
and just really helpful. Uh, they're based, I think, at the University of Utah, at least most of the students that co-founded it and their team has since expand, expanded. You'll hear about them at literally every med school. If you're on interviews, if you're on the interview trail, especially if you're visiting med schools, meeting student ambassadors, they will tell you about the Onking if you ask them about where they go to for Anki. Although the Onking did extend and branch out to the MCAT, and that was the go-to deck I used, but I did add on every other popular deck just in case that main deck was missing some material, right? The thing about Anki decks is if you have a pre-made deck, it's a lot easier on yourself instead of having to make cards because Anki is essentially a flashcard, an online flashcard system. Um, that's really the only difference there is between paper flashcards, I guess. And it will show you cards. I think what they say is it will show you cards when you're most likely to just forget them, right? So it's a powerful tool. I hear that it takes a long-term commitment, but that was my study strategy. If any of y'all want to borrow it in terms of how I went about Anki, there's a lot more to I guess the resources, because Anki is more of uh, a review thing. It's not a first time learn kind of thing. So you should have resources in place to learn about the content for the first time. Anki is just helpful for retaining your knowledge, not necessarily exploring it for the first time. That's I went on a bit of a, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's definitely true because I was just thinking about how, um, I feel like one of the main things is learning it properly first, um, like the content, whether it's like Gen Chem, bio, stuff like that. Uh, definitely using study groups, I feel like personally is like the best way or finding resources at your own university. And then once you like learned it and then time for your test is coming up, that's when like Anki will really come in handy or any other resource that you really want to use. But definitely that flashcards concept helps best for like reviewing concepts that you've already learned before. Yep. I know I got ahead of myself with all of this talk about Anki, but man, it is helpful. And that's exactly why I wanted to share it with y'all listening. All right. Well, that pretty much is my first year. I know it was pretty vague of, of a description on my part, but that's really all I remember from first year. Uh, it's kind of weird to say, but it's been a while since I, I I remember first year of undergrad. Let's move on to the second year. How is that for you, Asma? Um, well, my second year was like a little bit more stressful. Um, that socializing in my first year kind of hit me a bit hard. I realized I couldn't keep doing that. Um, I have to admit, I was skipping classes a bit in my first year. It's taking a little too easy. Uh, high school led me astray, unfortunately. But I realized that I kind of had to like sit down and force myself through stuff. So I like kind of like forced my I was like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to every single class if I can. And so that's what I did. Um, Sometimes, you know, like, I would feel like some FOMO, I'd be like, Oh, man, my friends, you know, having fun, I want to have fun too. And what I would do is I would just ask my friend like, hey, do you want to just sit in class with me? And honestly, it worked really great. Um, sometimes like I'd go sit in her classes, sometimes she'd sit in mine. And she's a computer science major. So really like there was no overlap in our classes to make sense for either one of us. But it just, it helped because um, for example, if she came to my class, I would be kind of sitting there paying attention and she'd just probably do her own work. 
And we just still get to like hang out, you know, usually in class, there'll be something or the other you can laugh and giggle about and talk about for a bit. But it just kind of helps to make yourself go to stuff without feeling too, I guess, left out, not going to class. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's pretty much what I did in my second year. I also started trying to explore some things. I think that's when I started um, looking at fast tracking, which is just like a dual credit program type of thing, but for like graduate classes and stuff. And that's when I applied in my second year as well for that. Which I could probably go in more detail, but I think I'll leave it there for now. Great. Well, I can relate with quite a few things. I mean, even in first year, I was struggling with the temptation of skipping on classes. Definitely was a temptation. I guess I can categorize it or characterize it as that. But building habits was huge for me. Huge momentum from that. And I'm I'm glad I developed that early on. Going back on breaking a bad habit down and then building a good one up is so much harder than just starting out with a good habit. Uh, sounds pretty cliche now that I now that I say it, but it really is rings true for for college. So when I started out, the temptation was there to skip out on classes. Although at least for us, we didn't have recorded lectures. I know that a couple universities do. So, I mean, skipping out on classes might not be that bad, at least if you can catch on the material later. Although we only had one shot um, there and then during the lecture in person. So I made it a point to stick out things and, and stay for, for lecture, I would say after class. And I learned quite a bit, or at least I caught on to quite a bit in terms of how to be successful for these exams, because it was oftentimes the students that would ask the questions after class that really knew what they were talking about. And it was often those same questions that ended up on exams. So stay after class kids. That's the lesson I learned. Um, but I guess being generous with how much time you'll be able to dedicate was something that continued to help out in second year where I was not just taking general chemistry or you know, the, the beginner ones, right? Bio one, I was taking microbiology, genetics, some, some upper level courses that were quite a bit more challenging in terms of content, volume content, and also conceptually, conceptually, right? Genetics, especially. Genetics is, at least in my opinion, maybe one of the driest classes ever. It just really, I guess you can characterize it as mundane um, if that's if that's all right with y'all, but it was just not my thing. And every time I would have to study for genetics, it was just very cut and dry. Like, let me just, you know, read through the textbook. That's another thing. There were a lot of classes, at least in my undergrad, that had a textbook and anything that would be on the textbook, but was not mentioned in the lecture slides or even during the lectures at all was still fair game. I just hated that. There were some classes that were just presentations. And while they did rely on lectures or while they did rely on textbooks, it was not something that would be fair game. Anything in lecture was fair game. That changed the, the ball game for me because those are the classes I succeeded in. And maybe that's something that y'all will want to look into when you're choosing courses. Professors do vary. 
and the courses do vary just as much as the professors do. So believe me when I say there are some courses who that are a lot more manageable and other courses that feel like they might be three credits, but they feel like a six or five credit course. So definitely do your research, ask upperclassmen. It, you'll just be doing your favor, yourself a favor in the long run. A semester is a long while, good four or five months. So trust me, the time spent looking into that ahead of time is well spent for sure. But those are essentially the lessons I learned, basically taking the lessons I learned in, in first year and just putting them to another notch is all that really I gained. Third and fourth year were some different lessons in terms of balancing academics with extracurriculars, because that's really when I got serious, junior year especially, was really when I started setting a lot of time, as much as I could, aside to extracurriculars, but we can get to that afterwards. Um, do you want to share your experience with third year, Asma, so far at least? Yeah, Um. well, I'm in my second semester now. You kind of scared me because I'm taking genetics in the summer. Um. So looking forward to it. Um. I would say, honestly, right now, I'm realizing that there are so many things that you can do as a student in college and as a pre-med student. Um. For example, like research and clinical shadowing experience and stuff like that. I feel like I kind of, I skipped out on that in my first year, like in my first year, I considered it. And then I was like, oh no, nobody wants a noob. And I just didn't do it. And now I'm looking at that. I'm like, well, if they would have still excused it, you know, I would have been able to get into stuff. So definitely do apply when you do get the chances for stuff. Um, Right now, I think, I'm starting to really realize that one of the biggest lessons is to not believe myself. Um, I'll like make an entire, I love Google calendar personally. I'll like put all my due dates and stuff on that. And then I'll schedule studying and stuff, which half the time I don't get to, but I just move it around. Um, but I love it because when I have that, I just, I realize that I schedule something for let's say like 7 a.m. I'm like, I'm going to wake up at 7 a.m. and I'm going to do this. And then when 7 a.m. comes the next day, I will be able to justify it so much to myself. So I've started trying to schedule stuff better in a way that, yes, will still push me to kind of excel a little bit each day, but not to be too drastic with it. I know sometimes it'll be like 2 a.m. and then you're like, I'm going to change my life around, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to start perfectly and it's not going to work so it's just better to give yourself some leeway while still setting yourself on a better path which is what I'm trying to do this semester and this year the 2 a.m motivation that's so true so true I literally have at some it's usually at night I'll be honest but there are sometimes I literally have daydreams thinking like wow if I did this and I changed this like how much it, how much more productive I'd be. And I'm thinking like, wow, I'm going to be on another level. And then I try to do it. And man, the talk is easier than the work. Uh, that's for sure. But I can definitely relate quite a few things there. By third and fourth year, and I guess I can start talking about the years after this, for me at least. I know that you're in your third year, Asma, but um, I guess I can talk about what it's been like afterwards for me at least. Third and fourth year, definitely started being a lot more conscious of the balance between productivity, life, 
my side interests and not necessarily putting priority to something because it means a lot on my record, right? In terms of how someone would view me, but more so because it means a lot to me and it'd be impactful for others. So over the over my third and fourth year, especially the fourth year since I was a lot more invested, I really found out that I should be dedicating a lot more time to extracurriculars, not just because it's something that med schools expect, but also because I genuinely just love being part of extracurriculars, like being part of a team like the pre-med team. We're just all students. I love the conversations that we're able to have, the things that we're able to relate over. Ozma and I have already had a couple meetings together just as she's joined the team. And there's a lot that we can find common ground as students. It's refreshing, honestly, especially being on my gap year, because when you're in school, you have your community. You have students that are around you because you're literally on a campus where everyone's there uh, to be at school. But in your gap year, it's very different, especially if you're working a job. You're talking to people who have, have partners plus two or three children that they have to go to after work is done for daycare. So, I mean, it's not that much of a, not that much common ground you'll find outside of, you know, being a human, everyday things. But that's really special for me. I'm glad I, I realized the value of that, even in college when I did have people around me. About the split between academics and extracurriculars, like I said, that was something that became of greater value for me. And that's, again, the point where productivity was much more of a concern. Not necessarily a concern, but much more of, it's, it's, it was something more on my mind. So I started to really develop my systems. Things like, I, I, would, I was starting to look into places like Ali Abdal's channel. I'm sure that all of, quite a few people know about him. He's like the productivity guru. Um, for everyone, college or not. And I don't necessarily follow them as much. I feel like I've gained quite a much quite a lot more independence with where I go to for advice. It's usually within my own circle rather than people on the internet. Uh, was the opposite back in college. But I essentially divided or outlined a much more, thorough system for myself instead of relying on a to-do list on Google Docs that I would check off every morning. And while I haven't kept to all of those principles, I've realized that whatever system you use, you don't need to make it flashy. You just need to make it work, get the job done. And honestly, right now, I've gone back to using Google Docs for a to-do list because it just is the simplest way I've gone about things. I used to use apps, not sure if y'all know about Todoist, uh, Notion, I tried that out, never worked for me. And I know there's a couple other platforms, things like Obsidian, just really niche apps and websites that people use that I tried, but really never worked for me. Another thing I took away was be okay with trial and error. If you find that you settle at a with a, a productivity system that works for you, but you don't necessarily find appealing, that's totally fine. 
settle for or work with what you feel most comfortable in. Don't feel the need to move to something that is just popular because other people use it. All in all, might be a little cliche to say that, but definitely something that I still continue to feel is true. I think about the um, productivity in workspaces and stuff like that. I definitely feel that. Personally, I get really sucked into planning of stuff um, rather than execution. I can make an entire schedule for a year of stuff to do and like day to day. But when it comes down to the execution of it, it's not as easy for me. So if I, I can very easily find like, like you mentioned, like a bunch of apps or websites that would make that planning aspect of it like so nice. I just, I realized that for it to work for me, I have to keep it really simple so I don't get sucked into that. And instead I just stick to the bare minimum and say, okay, I have to do this. I don't need to make it look pretty. I, I, I know how to do it. It's all, that's, that's how it works, honestly. Very true. I did not think, I actually, I'm, I'm gonna be vulnerable here. I actually didn't even know what Google Calendar was starting out. So when I would organize my schedule, I would literally get a Google Doc and just write out the times that I had meetings. And it was just so inefficient. Like you can't look at a Google Doc and understand what's going on in your week. It just doesn't happen. You actually need it visualized, right? Where just like Google Calendar has it separate columns. So um, I, I've definitely made progress, been a, been a long way coming sure but um don't feel ashamed about like where you are there were that's at a lot of points i had no idea what i mean at the very beginning i should say i had no idea what notion was what obsidian was what a lot of these platforms were even google calendar like using i didn't have gmail to begin with like until someone told me about how much easier it is through google i just had a lot of learning to do uh, and this was literally in like sophomore year. So a lot of learning. My gap years have definitely been quite the same. Another thing I should add, since I guess we're getting around to talking about the latter years, the later years of undergrad and my gap year as well, is that know your schedule, know what times work for you. I think we're talking about the mornings, right, Ozma, when, when you like to work. For me, I am definitely a morning person. There are sometimes when I know I've been slacking during the week, so I'll set up a timer and this might be a little extra, but I do set sometimes set out my Saturday mornings to really get some work done, wake up as early as 3 a.m. and just like hit it out for the next six hours, 9 a.m. And basically I started my day like I usually would have. I would have already have woken up at 7, 8 a.m., but I got those extra hours early in the morning um, to get done. A lot of times I feel like the challenge with productivity comes when you start questioning, okay, can I have, you know, can I, can I rest? Can I take a break? Right. But at least for me, and this might be different for you, but find what that is, right. What time that this is applicable to for you. When I work in the early morning hours, like early, early 4am, 5am, I find that I'm not even questioning, like, why am I working right now? It just happens. Like, well, what else would you be doing at 3am? unless I guess you've not been sleeping, but what else would you be doing at 3 a.m. if you just woke up, right? It's just that time to focus on nothing but work because there's no distractions outside and all. 
I guess those are some thoughts that I personally have. Maybe y'all don't necessarily feel the same way, but I know for sure that everyone at least will have one time in the day that they reach their productivity high. For me, that's the early morning. Some people might be night owls. Some people might just be in the middle of the afternoon. I, I don't get that, by the way. How do people reach their productivity stride in the middle of the afternoon? Like, it doesn't make sense. I personally have to say I've never reached it in the middle of the afternoon. I feel like I'm more of like a night owl type. Um, I personally wish I was like the early morning type. I really wish um, if I got up, Michael, to start working at 3 a.m., I would not. I would look at the clock and I'd be like, wow, this is time to sleep. And that's that's how it works every time. Honestly, like I was mentioning, if I make an entire schedule for um, the day, I can just easily justify pushing it back later, depending on what time I wake up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I guess it goes to show how differently we all think. Yeah, that's why I guess it's just important to figure out what works for you personally. Um, Definitely. Trial and error. Another thing is don't feel like it's too early or too late to do it. When you're in your first year, you might feel like, okay, I have three extra years to go for it or, or to really hit my stride. Believe me, those three years go by. And if you're not consciously trying to improve your systems, trying to improve your workflow, it's not going to improve itself. Another thing that I'm sure a lot of people um, find the same, but yeah, I think we've covered quite a bit over this episode. Any last lessons that you want to share? Any stories that you want to share to illustrate any lessons, Osma? Um, I personally don't think I have too many stories, um, but I think I covered pretty much my main years and stuff like that. Cool, yeah. well been a great episode. I learned a lot about Uzma. I learned a lot about, I guess, myself after a little reflection. Um, and we hope you all listening in have done the same. If you like episodes like these, feel free to let us know over our Instagram page and also over Spotify. We do have a poll where you can share your thoughts on how these episodes are going. Do you want to hear more episodes like these where we're just sharing our own personal stories? Are there certain topics that you'd like to share within that field, feel free to let us know. We have these episodes every other Friday. So expect more episodes like these. We'll be focusing on co-hosted episodes and also guest spotlights. But until then, we look forward to having you there. And again, we hope you enjoy this episode.